Welcome to episode 15 of North of the Shire. I am your host, Don, and I am here with a man who once appeared in a top five list alongside Brian Adams, Mr. Andrew Brock. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. That is correct. I appeared in a top five list. I do recall you also appeared in that top five list as well, in no particular uh, order. Rumor has it. Rumor has it. That's right. And you know, it's funny, as you're reading off the episode number, I thought to myself, I have already mislabeled this uh, file name, and it's (laughs) episode 14 on the file. And you're like, it's actually episode 15. And I'm like, well, fiddlesticks. <laughs> yeah, last time I was the one that got mixed up on the episode number. That's right. I'm mostly just shocked because we've already, this is our 15th episode we're recording. Well, 15 for you, uh, 14, I think, for me, or 13, I can't remember which. 13, because I've done two with Chris so far. That's right. Um, which reminds me, i got to get in touch with Chris and uh, line line up another episode with him. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should get you to record an episode with Chris next time. Give me give me the week off. Sure, can't do. You know, I'm going into month end in two weeks, but I can do it. <laughs> month end okay, and ext- well, maybe, external maybe auditors then. are coming. <laughs> but I can do it. I'll fit in some time. <laughs> Okay, we'll have to review that plan. But anyway, on on to things Lord of the Rings. All right, let's do it. Um, I did get in finally my, um, what do you call it, made to order? Oh, yes, that's or right. Or direct order or whatever the heck it is. Uh-huh. So I got the, uh, the Witch King mounted Frodo and Sam and Orc armor and my two Moran and Captains. And those represent... The first models that I've bought this year, which is shocking mm. to me. Okay, okay. Yeah, so not bad. Into the third month, and only now have I bought my first models. Well, I haven't actually bought anything, and I have a uh, gift card from Christmas uh, burning away in my uh, my pocket, waiting to be spent. Uh, my, my brother, socially distanced, gave it to me, and... Nice. I'm sitting on this gift card, and I'm thinking to myself, "Holy jeez!" With the, uh, it's not a whole lot on it, but uh, it, it, it could buy a, a couple of models. And I'm just like, sort of like saving it, like I'm like holding it on, like it's the precious, my precious. But just the, waiting for the right model to come along, or not what? Not really, no. Just waiting to like pull the trigger on buying an army. But I'm like, I should finish my Rangers of Athelion army first. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it's just accumulating more <laughs> plastic crack that just sits there. In yeah, the I've really, I've really completely stopped painting miniatures after having like a really good year last year. This year, I've I've done very little, and in fact, I actually put all my painting stuff away, wow. um, just because it was sitting there on the kitchen table for weeks and weeks, and I wasn't touching it. So I thought, you know what, I'll put it away. I'll get it back out when I'm gonna paint. So. But I, I did start working on a, another little project. Um, started working on a small size display board, oh, battle company size. I saw um, that. Just because it's like, I, I got to get onto this bingo thing. I, mm-hmm. I got to start working on something. So I thought, this is what I'm going to do. Fair and enough. as part of that, I actually um, got my 3D printer back mm. up and running. It needed a little, you know, untangling, a little uh, jostling around. To, to get it back going, but um, little, little TLC, yeah. So uh, I got that back running, and I just I, I actually just started 
printing a file just before I came up here. So, wow. so that's something I've Aren't been doing. you a lucky duck? Indeed, indeed. How's your uh, how's your army coming along? You mentioned your Rangers of Athelion. Well, our challenge armies. They're about as far as they were January one. Um, I see. Yeah, yeah. I have been rather uh, swamped. Uh, I'm not talking about work because that's the huge. Uh, but I've been rather swamped uh, with the D and D. I have decided to, as, as you know, because you're part of the campaign, I've decided to pretty much homebrew everything. And with homebrewing everything comes a sizable amount more work, uh, as evidenced by the dozens of pages of extra information. But uh, it's, it's on my list of things to do. Uh, things are calming down, so I really want to sort of put um, pen or brush to model, uh, as I'm super keener to get it done. Um, and the the photos I'm re- we are receiving on our group chat from Chris uh, is making it indicative that he will be the first one to get his challenger oh, army far. done. He's, he's oh just God. like every week he knocks <laughs> off like four or five models. So it's you know it's like four or five. He's guy. like, oh, here's another batch of guys done with dude new skin tone, and I'm just like, yeah, geez, before long it's gonna be. I'm working on the heroes now, and everything's done, and I'm just like. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, we're fa- we're falling <laughs> we're falling behind. Yes, that is that's, correct. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I actually I'll come clean. I'll have a, a moment of coming clean. I've been playing video games a lot lately with my spare time. Oh, uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla has sort of in, ensnared me, and I looked at the, the the played time on the game. It's not one of those MMO games. It's a it's a singular storyline game. I'm like, oh. 64 hours. Oh, my God. I wonder what I could have done with those 64 hours. My army would be done by now, twice over probably. <laughs> it's it's like the death knell of, of all things miniature is uh, all things video. Pretty much. I'm, I'm really picky when it comes to video games, but then several friends and my brother suggested this, and I, I jumped at it. And, yeah, Assassins and, like, Valhalla... Uh, you know, Viking mythology. Oh, you've sold me already. Okay, we're doing oh, this. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. How about yourself? Uh, I've actually been putting in some hobby time um, running the Battle of Eight Armies on the on the OSBGL because that, that kind of takes up a fair chunk of my time on it the does. weekend, getting yeah. getting all those posts ready and mm-hmm. and uh, getting encouraging everybody to send me their stuff and, mm-hmm. and, and all of that so I, so we did what, what, where did we leave off with that last time we left off with me guessing between Steve Stokes and Michael Campbell okay I, yeah, I, yeah, I threw my lot finished. in I threw my lot in with Michael Campbell just because he was throwing the smack down at the level that I was appreciative of right. and he took the win so I'm pleased with that he did uh, yes, he Steve did. was a, a worthy competitor uh, but Michael Campbell took the win and then, I think it was, was it 19 to 12 or 19, 13 or I something think so, like that? so, yeah. And then we had the second competitors that came up. And I won't introduce them. I'll let you go through it. And I'll pitch who I voted for. And we can talk about the results afterwards. Well, it was uh, Mike Shock mm-hmm. with his Kazadum, very beautiful nice army, one, and, army, and previous winner of our tournament, Canadian Shire, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. against Father Justin Bertrand and his <laughs> Angmar army, also gorgeous looking army. Really beautiful. Um, yeah. Army. So that, that and I've forgotten now what mission I had them in, but 
Um, it was some sort of destroy the supply lines or something. Oh yeah, yeah, it was one of the new ones. Yeah, That's destroy right. the supplies or some such. I think so. Yeah, three uh, three supply icons or markers per side, and then you had to defend them. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's actually one of the few missions I have not played yet. Yeah, surprisingly enough. So a very very close matchup. Now I threw my lot in with Mike. Because I, I've been a particular fan of his dwarf army. Not to say that Father Justin's army isn't quite beautiful. I should have probably gone with my evil. But uh, I'm a big fan of that dwarf army. It is so nice. Um, and what were the results, Don? Well, it came down to one vote. And That's right. Father Justin took it with, I think it was 19 to 18. Wow. So just squeaked out a win there with, with the Angmar. I, know. Um, I, I will say, from as a spectator sort of looking at it, you, the first game was the, 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 the Battle of the Smackdown. The yeah. second game was very much the Battle of the Gentlemen. <laughs> being very polite and complimentary towards the other while still being like, I think I could do this, but your army's also awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they definitely did have that tone. That, that's for sure. But it was a, it was a sporting matchup. Very and, sporting. Uh, I, I didn't vote. I like that's the thing. Like I, I kind of feel like I can't vote because I'm kind of the to. So, it's like I, 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 and that one would have been hard for me as I did comment. Like these are probably two of my most favorite armies. Agreed. Um, Agreed. I have both. I have both of these armies. Uh, and I love both these armies, so I like. I just don't know who I would have voted for, honestly. Yeah. So, but uh, so we, yeah, I've been I've been spending quite a bit of time that doing that and getting things lined up for 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 that. So who is matchup three? We've got matchup three up already. Yes, we do, <clears throat> and we have uh, our own Garrett and his Ents Fangorn. That's right. Yes, and they are playing up against Alistair Van Duzer's, mm-hmm. um, what do you call that army again? The uh, Dark Powers of Dol Guldur, I think yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dol Guldur. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, very different armies. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Like, I even knew what, what army Alistair was going to play, but it wasn't at all what I was expecting when he sent it to me, because mm-hmm. he's, he's got, like, a lot of orcs. I think he's only got two of the Nazgul in there. He's got the Abyssal Knights, both of them. He's, yeah, and I, he... Who else does he have? He has an orc captain. He's got the Necromancer. Yeah. And then he's got, a, like, a wall of... Like, and he's got Thrain... Is it Thrain the Broken? Thrain the Broken is also in there. Yeah, and yet. then a whole bunch of orcs, some of which are mounted. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, and Garrett just has Treebeard and, and five Ents, I Yeah, believe. it comes out to five Ents, because they're, I think, 120 yeah. points each. And then Merry and Pippin on there. Um, and, yeah, I know he's, he's rocking that build. Um, and I have to say... Again, two opponents who are running really beautiful looking armies. Garrett's Ent Army Ent Army is really nice. It like most of it's converted and quite heavily so. Yeah. And Alistair's I mean, he he loves to convert his models and they yeah. it really shows the quality of the quality of care and work on both the armies is quite beautiful. Yeah. And like Garrett uh, sent me his his photos and, and 
his army list and stuff and he didn't send me a picture of himself right he avoided that but it's like yeah. haha i'm the one posting it and because you're my buddy i can do whatever <laughs> i want i have a picture of you that i'm gonna put up and it was actually the picture i believe it was from uh, council of the wise and mm -hmm. i think garrett won like best army or best conversion or mm -hmm. some award like that and he got he got a trophy there for that army i think so yeah right so so i stuck that picture of him him up on the Mm -hmm. as part of his submission yeah yeah um i think if you were to play this out game versus game like like in an actual game setting i think garrett would actually lose this one it'd be it'd be a tricky one but i think he'd lose this one because it's fog of war um yeah and even though the ents do well sort of staying together i think the necromancers kind of got their number because I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the FAQ that just came out talking about how Chill Soul um, or specific spells like Chill Soul and Black Dart can mm -hmm. target specific components of yeah. a model. Yeah, I was uh, thinking about this too. They, he, The Necromancer could just blast Mary Pippin right off Treebeard Well, and Yeah, and like one of the things is you have to pick like a, a hero on the other army that you're trying to kill and it can't be their leader. Yeah. So in Garrett's army, it's got to be either Mary or Pippin because mm -hmm. they're heroes. They're, they're one fate and nothing else heroes. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's, right. It's a model to defend and it's a model to kill. So yeah. if and he, a terrain and to a terrain capture That's right. and defend. Yeah. And so unfortunately, Alistair would just roll up and Necromancer, Chill Soul, Bang Bang, Marion Pippin off. And all of a sudden, it's a six point with VP differential swing. And all, and you know, there's no coming back from that in Fog of War, you know. Um, so, but it well, doesn't you say, never know. That's you true. You never know. I, and the one thing I would love to do one day is to, to play all of these matchups. Like, to mm -hmm. actually have the game yeah that would be that would be cool if we could do that one one day well we could do some sort of canadian shire invitational <laughs> yeah Just saying. You know? the replay the replay that's right the what would have really happened tournament that's right what would have really happened i like that the what if <laughs> tournament ah i like it <laughs> uh, one last thing mm -hmm. before we move on to our main segment it's like I started listening to uh, a new podcast, nothing to do with Lord of the Rings. It's uh -huh. a historical podcast called The Napoleonic Quarterly. Um, oh, okay. It started this year. Really good. It's it's pretty highbrow um, uh, compared to like what we do here. Um, but it's it's been really interesting. I like really into history. Most of the stuff that I watch or YouTube or, you know, podcasts and stuff, it's all historical based aside from the the lord of the Rings stuff that i follow but mm -hmm. uh it was funny because the the beginning of this is um the beginning of this is all about the french revolution it's about napoleon but before yeah, yeah. he shows up on the scene they sort of have to cover the french revolution mm -hmm. but it was it was just funny because all of this <laughs> all of this talk about the um rangers of athelian it it, it kind of made me think it's like okay well we're going to be talking about leaf blowers in in the main topic today mm -hmm. leaf blower army lists that's right and yeah so undoubtedly the rangers of athelian are going to come up right no not really and so, <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> big, big, big joker. 
but it just made me laugh because it's like I, I was thinking about the French Revolution like mobs of people armed with uh, torches and pitchforks and it's like okay and now we're about to talk about <laughs> the Rangers of Athelion <laughs> and talk about mobs with uh, pitchforks and torches <laughs> pretty much yeah I mean they're yeah. equivalent of pitchforks and torches of spears and uh, bows <laughs> Well, I just mean in in the sense that like the the discussions in the community are are kind of kind of reminiscent of of that kind of oh uh, yes there yeah, there is I a reason know. I am going to use the word the best this time around when describing an army type yeah. for a leaf blower or for at least any army type <laughs> uh, and Rangers of Athelion spoiler alert are the best leaf blower army in the game. And there is a reason for that because the, the competitive forums are abuzz with ways in which they can be nerfed or adjusted from a TO's perspective to make the experience more enjoyable for other players. It's all torches and pitchforks. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the main topic. Alrighty. All right, we're here for Let's Talk About, and we're back to another of our army types, and this time it is the Leaf Blower. Andrew, do you want to tell us what a Leaf Blower army is? Oh, are you making me do the intro? Yeah, man. Let, <laughs> let, you know, let's, let's toss this back and forth. Let's not like you read this section, I read that section. Oh, okay, okay. Let's, let's conversation this this sucker out well a leaf blower is essentially an army that uses or has more shooting like way more shooting than what you would typically see in a uh, in a normal army type you know you, you we talk about our 33 percent bow limit but a leaf blower focuses on um, getting as many bows as possible into its force uh, and when I say bows, I'm using uh, the word interchangeably Shooting. with bows and yeah. crossbows, uh, and even throwing weapons. I would say that, like any sort of ranged weapons, they want to get as many ranged weapons in as possible, um, with the goal of using their primary strategy. Sorry, I should say their primary strategy is to shoot their enemy. Most people, they they use bows sort of as a, or shooting as sort of a secondary or, uh, strategy or a tool in the toolbox, if you would. It's a shocking development that their strategy is to shoot their opponent. That's right. It's called the leaf blower because de it's designed to shoot so many shots at you that it just blows you off the table. So like let me ask you a question. Leaves. Yes, Let me ask it. you this. Okay, so we know some armies can take more than 33% bows. So do you have to be one of those armies in order to be a leaf blower? Or can you do a leaf blower with 33% bows? You can do a leaf blower with 33% bows. Um, the focus there is you want to build it almost like a horde-like army. So you're looking at getting um, cheap heroes, uh, ideally heroes of valor, uh, just so you can build out as many, put in as many models as you can into your army so you can uh, build out that 33% uh, bow limit. Uh, you know, and to give you a, a brief uh, idea behind this, uh, at 700 or 750 points, you wouldn't be surprising to see 20 bows 
um, in a 33% bow limit force uh, by focusing almost entirely upon your troops and very little on your heroes. Yeah, so like you're going to maximize, you're going to maximize the number of bows you can get in in a in a leaf blower. So if it's 33%, it's 33%. If it's 50, then you go 50. That's right. Uh, um, now, I will say this type of force has been known to sort of suck the fun out of the game. That is true. And I actually had a conversation with uh, with Steve Stokes about this. Mm -hmm. And he mentioned that in their local scene over in London, where they had a couple of tournaments mm -hmm. um, during the first lull of COVID. Um, and he said there were like all kinds of heavy shooting armies there. Um, and it it's one way to uh, instantly turn a new player off the game is to expose them to this type of army. Yeah, it's really not fun. It isn't because I mean the the the, the focal point of this game is about the dual role, right? In terms of combat, mm -hmm. and and there's all these variables that can go into it: fight value, attack, supporting, trapped. All these things, all these rules in the rule book are all beefed around the dual role. But shooting totally disregards the dual role. It's all about, yeah. I roll dice and you take models off the table, uh, which from an, a competitive perspective is great. But when you bring so much shooting to the table that you're making your opponent take between three and seven models off for doing nothing, really. Yeah. You're just rolling dice. Well, uh, I mean, you an, can... Yeah. You can equate shooting in the game, like if you just look at like the number of rolls and your chances to hit and your chances to wound and range and blah, blah, blah. You can actually equate shooting to magic mm -hmm. in the game. Like you can yeah. equate like shooting a, a bow or a crossbow at somebody to a black dart. Like instead of making a, ma a casting roll, you're rolling to hit. Um, both spells have a range. Both spells, like both things have a strength. Of course, uh, uh, shooting weapon is a lot lower strength but then you you probably have like five or ten times as many units in your army that are doing it um so it's a way to reach out and inflict pain on the other guy and you mm -hmm. don't even have to move yeah i mean the new generals but i should say new but the generals pack that came out that had the different pools of missions um, has really been pushing away from shooting. It's all about board control and grabbing objectives and shooting, um, you know, to really maximize your shooting, you have to really be stationary. Um, otherwise, you're taking that negative one-day hit penalty. And mm -hmm. to really play those types of games, uh, it, it, it hampers shooting to a degree, um, but you still can <laughs> sit there for the first half hour, 40 minutes of a game yeah, and unloading like your opponent. I, I appreciate I appreciate what they're trying to do, but there's always a way around it. There's more mm -hmm. than one way to skin a cat, as they say. Like mm -hmm. back in the in the days of 40k, you know, like 10, 15 years ago, it's why everybody was playing with um, land speeders or vipers because they move 24 inches. So that's what you do on your last turn of the game. You move 24 inches and you yep. claim an objective. Well, this game has the same thing. They just don't yep. move quite that far. Exactly. You so know, we, we talked about uh, we talked about. You know the introduction, if you would, or the, the preamble to the leaf blower. What do you think some of the strengths are? And I know we've touched on it already, but I'm just curious to hear what your thoughts are. 
Uh, well, of course, the biggest strength is, and very obviously, it's the shooting, and it's the fact that you can you can lay the smackdown on the guy at no risk to yourself. Yep. Like, like as you said, there's no duel. You you just stand still and fire arrows. Um, you know, it's Agincourt all over again. Uh, mm-hmm. Like they're trying to get to you, and you're just raining down the the pain. <laughs> yeah, that that's the biggest um, advantage, I would say. Yeah, no, I would agree. Uh, I also noticed that when you're building out um, a shooting force, you know, as I talked about the 33% bow limit or even those forces that have 50% or 100%, since your goal is to focus on infantry, you tend to have a really big army relative to the other army types. In fact, I would say most shooting forces, you know, barring some exceptions, probably have, it's probably the second biggest army type outside of the horde. You know what I mean? So already you have the advantage of numbers, plus you have the advantage of shooting. And it's like you're going to have that advantage even bigger as you're like gunning down your opponent's models. You're just creating, you're you're spreading that gap, uh, that model count uh, gap. Yeah, and I know we'll get into like building one of these armies, but like that's when you're trying to maximize the number of bows and you're stuck at say 33% or 50%, well, you're trying to squeeze more and more bows in there. So what you end up doing is taking points away from your heroes if Mm -hmm. you can. Um, and increasing the number of warriors yeah. so that you can get more bows. Exactly. It's, it's kind of... Do, do you find that shooting armies are primarily stationary in your experience? Yeah, like my experience in playing shooting armies is both with Isengard and actually with Khazad-dum because I do mm-hmm. play like a shooty... Uh, dwarf ranger army which Mm -hmm. is quite good actually Mm -hmm. um and yes they are in both examples like isengard are because you're shooting mainly with crossbows yeah um so in order to make that work you got to stand still and dwarves you know you're shooting bows but like they're slower and plus Mm -hmm. just you you have to you can move three but you know Moving towards your opponent when you're trying to shoot them is counterintuitive. So you actually want to stay where you are or even back up a bit mm-hmm. and, and shoot. So, yeah, it's definitely not very mobile. Right. I, I would say, you know, when we talk about shooting armies, uh, I think it's important to, to really um, put a caveat on it in that. There's stationary shooting armies, which is your move or fire weapons. And then there's the um, mobile shooting armies. And when I say mobile, I'm referring to the ones that can move and fire. And while they can only move up to half their movement, that's still movement regardless, you know. So there. Yeah, no- so one, ones like Rohan where you got like horse archers or some of the elven yeah, armies with knights. bows and horses or even... Um, your alerts as scouts mm-hmm. with uh, increased move and a lot of bows, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Th- those can be move and shoot. Yeah, exactly. So so I think it's important to note that as a strength, um, shooting armies or leaf blower army type uh, can actually be quite mobile and it loves the hit and run tactics. So if, you, if it's a mobile type of shooting force that can move and fire, it loves hit and run tactics. Whereas the, the move or fire... Uh, loves to do, loves to pivot around the its its sort of quote unquote shield wall or, or its battle line, uh, mm-hmm. and really put down that suppressive fire. 
which we'll talk about more in the strategy section. But you know, you you talk about weaknesses. You know, when we talked about a lot of shooting armies to really maximize that firepower, they need to be stationary. What are some of the ways in which you know? What are what are the the most immediate thing that you can think of that sort of you know hits you in the head when you say, "How do I really stop a shooting army cold?" You know what I mean? Well, like the best way to stop a shooting army cold is to get into combat with it. Mm-hmm. It's just that that's kind of what they're trying to prevent you from doing. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, one of the weaknesses I would say that a shooting army has, um, if we can maybe move into the weakness area I think a little we've bit organically here, slid into the weaknesses yeah, section. Yeah. Um, is if you get missions where your opponents are able to deploy very close to you, mm. um, this can be a big problem for a, a leaf blower as can maelstrom of battle oh, deployment yeah. missions because like what you're trying to do is is keep your army together so you can maximize your shooting at any one area of their army mm-hmm. and and having your army like split up into small groups is is not at all what you want to have i would counter that and say depending upon the shooting force you may want to spread your army out, right? Especially if you get the dreaded role to go second in a maelstrom game, which means you, uh, or first, I should say, uh, and you're having to deploy your your units first. You almost want to scatter them on all four quarters because if you 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 clump them all together, and I'm not talking about all shooting armies, I'm talking about some. But if you clump them all together, your opponent's just like perfect. I'll blow all my might to be right beside you, and then that way I don't have to get shot to death by you. But if you scatter to the four winds or all four table corners, your opponent's like, uh, even if I scatter my own force, I'm gonna really hurt myself in the long run. But if I concentrate on taking out one or two of his warbands, now I'm at the mercy of his shooting. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like a lot of this depends. It, it depends on several factors. Mm-hmm. One, how mobile is your shooting army? You know, you need a mobile arm, army for, for what you're talking about there. Um, the other thing is, um, like, you you depend on concentrated firepower. If you lose yeah. a warband, you're losing a lot of effectiveness in, in your shooting. Right. Um, because, because you really do need to concentrate your shooting, like especially if you have like strength two bows, for example. Yeah. Like you have to have the numbers in mm-hmm. order to to get the gains with it. And like if you keep losing parts of your army, it, it just sort of comes apart and its primary strategy like ceases to be all that effective. I would agree with that, yeah. Um, you know, and, and talking about concentrated fire and, and um, you know, strength two bows and, and, and your, your power sort of ceases to be effective. Uh, the one thing that immediately jumps to mind, and it's one of the reasons why, you know, um, Shadow Lord and Galadriel, any version of Galadriel, are big still uh, on the tables, is because Blinding mm-hmm. Light really nerfs this type of army list, this, type of, this army type, like severely yeah. depowers it. It does, yeah, because... It- you're you're basically taking like a 12 inch diameter area of the board that you almost can't affect 
you know, and it, it, mm-hmm. it really does limit what you can do. Cause what you end up doing is if you want to shoot, you're just, you're shooting at the flanks of, of your opponent's army, trying to right. find some kills somewhere. Right. Yeah. So the anti-shooting bubbles that we're talking about are those that need sixes to hit. So most of these shooting armies, the really good ones, need threes or even fours. So when you're going from threes and fours to sixes, you killing six models a turn turns to you killing one model a turn. And that's acceptable trade-off from your opponent's perspective. yeah, and another thing too, yeah. talk, talking about that, a, sim, a similar thing which can be really problematic for this army. If if you get dropped down on a table, that's like chock full of line of sight blocking mm, terrain. Yeah, it's like oh my god, <laughs> like you do need like really good fire lanes in order to um, employ your primary strategy. And if there's like all kinds of buildings or hedges or you know all of that kind of stuff, um, it can present a significant problem for you for sure agreed um the more in the ways your shooting force has to deal with the uh, less effective it is because um from a i guess from a math perspective every in the way effectively increases the defense value of whatever you're shooting at by one right so if you've got three mm-hmm. in the ways you can increase the defense value by two or three um, and, you know, when you're a strength two bow shooting at effectively defense A, you're not going to do a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And, and the last weakness, no, absolutely. the last weakness I'm thinking of is because you're so focused on building out as many infantry as possible to put as many bows on your force as possible, you're not focusing on big heroes, right? Your goal is to, your primary strategy is I'm going to shoot you off the table. So if a big hero charges into your lines, you have very few tools, and we'll talk about some exceptions later, but you have very few tools to actually be able to counter that. And your goal at that point is to break your opponent before the enemy hero chews through you. No, absolutely, yeah. Um, It's one of the reasons why we're going to focus a little bit more on this in the tactics uh, section, so I won't won't give it away there. Did we talk about board control? Um, I guess we did a little bit when you were talking about um, the fact that these armies tend for the most part to not be all that mobile. Agreed, uh, yeah. Because you do, you do tend to lose like board control because of that. You do. Um, you, you give up the board control because you want to stand still to maximize your shooting. Uh, and mm-hmm. the, more you, the longer you stand there and shoot, the, the, the more you're giving up your board control. Um, so one of the, the things you learn as you play with a leaf blower list, uh, army type, I should say, is when to stand still and shoot and for how long to stand still and shoot yeah. before you have to start moving. It's it's kind of like two-thirds of the game, it's stand and shoot, stand and shoot, and then the last third is run, run, run. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we'll move on to building a leaf blower. And there's a couple of key things here that I want to um, zoom in on, and that is you don't need the army's... Um, to have a special rule for 50% or 100% bow limit. Um, You can do it with a 33% bow limit, but generally speaking, some of the best lists are leaning towards 50 and 100%, okay? Um, Immediate thought, you know, Isengard brings um, crossbows, they're extremely effective, but they only have the 33% bow limit, right? So your goal then as you're building out these types of lists is to 
and focus entirely upon the infantry. So when you're looking at your heroes, um, your goal when you start choosing heroes is you want to maximize the hero type, um, the specific types of heroes that bring lots of bows to the table. And that means you want heroes that are hero of valor, you want heroes that are cheap, uh, if they're hero of fortitude, uh, and if you can slap a bow or a crossbow on a hero, you want to do that because that's effectively bypassing needing like three infantry to get an extra bow onto the table. Yeah, and and, and going along that kind of uh, thought, um, and I, I hate to say this because it's such a gamey thing to do, but you know how to build an effective leaf lore is you do this, and that is if you can take a lot of cheaper heroes, mm-hmm. like your 10 point, 25 point, you know, heroes that are maybe going to give you six or 12 warriors along them. Uh, it's really good because it's like the more war bands that you have, you can dominate the deployment. Exactly. And like what you want, like what, what this <laughs> army wants to do is you want your opponent to drop his cavalry before you drop the bulk of your bows on the table so you can see where he is. Yeah. Right. And, and you, and you just set your, the bulk of your bows up right across the table from all of his cavalry. Agreed. And just lay into them. So, it, like I said, it is a very gamey thing to do, but it, it's it's also very effective. If you have a lot more warbands than your opponent, it's a big advantage. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you'll as, as we've talked about, um, picking these smaller heroes, they have less might, right? Like a 25 mm-hmm. or 30 point hero might have only one might. But the reality is, you're not doing heroic combats with your heroes. Um, if you have might, you'll do heroic moves, but generally by the time you're charging your opponent, getting that heroic move off isn't critical unless they're a mobile type of army, like a cav force. Yeah. And you're really focusing your heroes, um, or really focusing your your selection of heroes on heroic march. Uh, anything that has a heroic march or anything that has a heroic accuracy, heroic accuracy being the biggie. Because it's all about shooting, and if you grab a heroic accuracy, you really reduce the pain that a in the way causes your fight, your shooting force. Yeah, it's essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like heroic accuracy is is by far the most important heroic or even use of might uh, yeah. for this army, by far. Yeah, and you will find you will also use heroic shoot because there's going to be those moments where your opponent's caught shooting and you want to outshoot them. So you'll probably use a heroic shoot to go first if you didn't win the priority mm-hmm. role. And uh, that's okay. That's, that's what the might's there for. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, in this, like you tend to get a lot of heroes that like have like fewer than three might anyways mm-hmm. um, in, in this type of list. And it's not necessarily bad. Like some people are so used to picking three might things, but like unlike a lot of other armies, you, in order for your strategy to work here, you're kind of either relying on the enemy heroes dying with unspent might or you're forcing them to use their might on fate rolls. Yeah. Um, so even though you may say like, oh, this is like maybe don't have the might on some of these characters that I would normally want, it's like, well, you got to remember, you're going to probably be forcing your opponent to spend might on like fate or marches or you just kill them with like, you know, two points of unspent might. Exactly. Um, you you want to get rid of your opponent's heroes because then their might dies out and then the might differential between 
your side and their side um, significantly decreases. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then sort of lastly, uh, in terms of the leaf blower and building one, don't think for a second that when we talk about 33% bow limit, I'm just referring to just ranged weapons or the the 50% or the 100%. Throwing weapons are also very... Uh, viable and oh, yeah. strongly recommend if you're building out a force and they have the option for throwing weapons, grab as many models with throwing weapons as possible because what you're doing is you're able to sort of pepper your opponent from range but then once they finally get at you and there's like that line on line clash you're able to then start throwing weapons at them and you can still play that highly mobile uh, evasive game where you're backing up throwing weapons, backing up, throwing weapons, and you're forcing them to burn might on heroic moves. Otherwise, they're going to take 20 or 30 throwing weapons to the face on a charge. It sounds like such a joy to play against an army like this, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Just, oh my God, how much fun is this going to be? It's not. It's really not. <laughs> the other thing, too, with this, too, and uh, and I'll say this, I don't know if uh, if you address this in, in all your lengthy notes here, but <laughs> this, this army also, even though you're not moving it can really devour the time in a game especially if you start introducing a lot of throwing weapons on Mm -hmm. top of your shooting weapons it's like every turn just is like every model is doing something every turn Mm -hmm. it's either instead of moving you're you're shooting you're doing in the way roll you're doing a wound roll it's like oh my god it takes forever like mm-hmm. if you get people that are rolling like one or two dice at a time yeah um this is where we've talked before about like try batch rolling your dice as much as you can just to try to get some efficiency with your time yeah don't be that person do not be that person that rolls individually for their their ranged attacks yeah uh, unless it's a throwing weapon and you're charging in i totally get it but if you've got like 20 or 30 bows and you're just shooting someone from range just be like, I'm going to shoot these four and I'll start hitting this guy and working my way across. If I kill, uh, we'll say one in the way and go from there. Once, Because if you start doing that one-on-one, again, it's going to burn the time. And it's a, it's a really, it's a gamey move to do that. Okay, did you want to move on and talk about some stratagems? Sure, some strategies. Let's do it. Yeah, strategies. Uh, uh, let me jump into the first one. Because I'll sure. let you talk about the second one because you know you use it all too well and all so often. But the oh, first yes. strategy I think is the most important, and that is target priority. Okay. When you have a line on line clash, there's less target priority. It's more sort of lining up your line to hit theirs in the most advantageous way possible, getting your heroes to hit where they need to hit. But when it comes to a leaf blower list, you aren't so great at the line on line. And there are certain things in your opponent's force that really will hamper your plans to win the day, right? And I'm talking enemy archers, mounted heroes, anti-shooting bubble, that kind of thing. So it's your goal right out the gate is to figure out what your opponent has that's gonna hurt you mid or late game, and you need to kill it and kill it first. And They are going to know this, so they're going to throw things like an anti-shooting bubble, uh, or they're going to put a lot of in the ways by putting a lot of infantry in front to protect their their key assets. And that's the reason why you take heroic accuracy, is to figure out what needs to die first, how am I going to prioritize this in terms of positioning uh, of my models, 
uh, my layers of um, heroic accuracy bubbles, and I just need to start rolling and I need to kill it as fast as I possibly can. Because if you don't do target priority well, your opponent is going to be on you with all the tools it needs to have to beat you. And it's going to happen time again, time, time after time. Yeah, and it's, it's funny, you know, because target priority, it probably changes for almost every different army that mm-hmm. you play against. Um, like in one army, you may be like, oh, well, that one character in their army, or one hero, rather, in their army is kind of like an Achilles heel. So he's my target priority. Um, another one may be like, I'm going to, I have strength two bows. So I want to maximize my kills. So I'm going to look for defense four targets, mm-hmm. for example, right? So maybe you shoot at their rear rank spearmen and use your accuracy. Or yeah. your other target of priority could be horses or enemy bows. Or like it really depends on, you know, sometimes you're going after heroes, sometimes you're going after warriors. Mm-hmm. And it, it could also depend on like what's their courage value, like Goblin Town. Well, like don't shoot at the Goblin King. You're, yeah. you're wasting your time. You, like kill kill the goblins. Like yeah. get them to break as quickly as possible, and you're gonna win the game. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, whereas in other army, you want to focus on their hero because you can't afford to let that hero get to you. Yeah, I mean, think about uh, the Balrog, for example, right? Um, uh, the Moria force led by a Balrog. Uh, you need to kill the Balrog because, or really take it out because. Between the heroic action, the heroic combats, the free heroic combats it gets, um, it will chew through your force. And because of its 12-inch auto-pass courage tests, you breaking a Moria force isn't going to do a whole lot for you because no. you'll pretty much just stay on the table. Unless, unless the mission starts rolling for the end game once one force breaks in that case it's all about breaking that moria force and trying to run to grab the objectives and evading and avoiding the balrog at all costs yeah there really is a lot to think about when you're trying to figure out your target priority and even once you sort it out and i'll use the example you just gave there yeah sometimes you have like an inner conflict about you know i know i should be shooting at at the balrog even though my chances to wound it are like sixes by fours or sixes Mm -hmm. by fives but like i could shoot at that defense four goblin over there and need a five plus to wound it so like i'd really rather shoot at the goblin but you know well you should really shoot at the balrog though you know yeah exactly um it all depends upon so it, it all depends upon the type of army the table you've got the mission you've got the player you've got, playing even the player itself matters when it comes to target priority, because some players get really rattled very quickly when they start seeing casualties pile up on their side, right? And that comes from experience you've had playing this individual in the past. So what you may end up doing is saying, you know what, if I kill five or six of his models right out the gate, he might start, she or she might start to say, oh gosh, I'm, I'm going into my nightmare scenario of losing models to range shooting, and all of a sudden that momentum for the game shifts in your favor. So target priority, it is the most important strategy for a leaf blower list. If you do it right, you will be fantastic with leaf, a leaf blower army type. But if you do it wrong, you are gonna really struggle to pick up wins and they will not be big ones. Yeah, 
Uh, shall we move on sure. to the the other strategy? And that is um, shooting into combat. And you know, you said right off the hop there that um, the Rangers of Athelion is is like the numero uno in the, in mm-hmm. this leaf blower army build. But they do have one really big thing going against them, and that is that well, they're good. They are good. Uh, and evil has a huge advantage oh. when it comes to uh, well, it's not just an advantage that they, they can do it, and evil and good can't do it. Shooting into combat, mm-hmm. uh, and and you can use that trick. Uh, it's so valuable in the game. Uh, firing into to combat it's just it's like the most common way for me uh to do it it's it's all the time Mm -hmm. is it's not hard to figure out when the guy's gonna try to pull off a a a heroic combat Mm -hmm. you know you got you got your big hero charges into a guy you know he's setting up their heroic combat. Well, just like rain hell down into that combat until you either kill your own guy or drop his horse. Exactly. You know, it's all win-win there, shooting yeah. in there. So you, you lose a 5 to 10 point model to your shooting, but mm-hmm. it's you, you're basically getting to shoot. And, and that's where you do want to shoot one at a time. Right, First exactly. shot, boom, I killed my guy. Okay, everything else is now into you. Yeah. Boom. Agreed, 100% <laughs> agreed. Um, you, you definitely, you want to have sort of like a floater force, right? And that could be, um, three, four, even five or six archers sort of hanging out in the back. And you want to be watching to see where your enemy hero is going to plow into your line, right? When that uh, Mm -hmm. eventual line online clash happens and you want to make sure your floater force is in position. And the moment that, that sort of that, that connection hits, pull all your supporting models out of the way and just unload into that combat because this sort of tactic, which you know, is very, as we talked about, is very uh, becomes very apparent very quickly, is the solution to the close deployment, right? Because for shooting forces, you do not want to deploy close to your opponent. You want that distance because it allows you to have that target priority, take out those mounted horses uh, early, and then you have a much better game. But when you get stuck with those close deployments, this shooting into combat can solve the uh, dismounting heroes problem. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely it can. Well, since we talked about dismounting heroes, Don, do you want to take on the, the next one, the next tactic or strategy? All right, and the next strategy is the only good enemy hero is an enemy hero on foot. So we've already talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Shoot the horses. <laughs> it's a complicated strategy. Extremely complicated. Kill the horses. Well, because it prevents them from getting to you uh, quickly. And also it it just really neuters them. Like I think we are kind of our default, I think now, as we say that heroes are like 150% if they're mounted. I don't think Rather it's 150%. Than, I mean, well, yeah, you know what I mean? I'm trying yeah, to say yeah. they get 50% better if they're mounted. That's that what I'm trying true. to say. So true. instead of being 100%, they're 150. I don't know. That I'm not true. the mathematician here. You're that guy. Okay, okay. So they're much <laughs> better and you should shoot the horses out. Um, exactly. Yeah, and thi- it just like having an enemy hero on foot is so much easier to deal with yeah. than if they're mounted. Like if they're mounted... You just you twitch the wrong way and you lose a dozen models. 
You know, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> there's very there's very little room for forgiveness if your opponent has mounted models, especially mounted yeah. heroes, because they can move on you so fast. Oh, it's crazy. But like, if if you have them on foot, you can you can back away from them, or you know, if they get to you, can just like feed them one model at a time, which mm -hmm. can be very frustrating because it forces them to use up their might. Um, doing um, hero combats, trying to kill one model on foot. It, mm -hmm. It's not a guarantee. You know, you mm -hmm. roll a one and a two to wound, and it's like, well, they just lost my might. Pretty much, yeah. Um, yeah. Especially if these are models with the Horse Lord special rule and they want to blow some of their fate to keep their might, their mount around. Well, guess what? I'm stripping my opponent's hero's fate by shooting at a defense four or five uh, horse versus yeah. the defense seven model. <laughs> yeah, and like even if you can't get a hero off his horse, if you take away all his might, that goes a long way towards neutering him too. They're still mm -hmm. really good, but it takes away the heroic combat, which is, is what they kind of really depend on. Yeah, if they're going to blow their might on keeping their fate rolls... Yeah. Uh, are keeping keeping the fate rolls to be successful, or if they're going to blow their might on heroic marches, that means they're not blowing their might on heroic combats. So get them to use their might. All right, uh, what's the next strategy or tactic? Pivot and fire. So this one is doable with most other armies uh, or army types that bring 33% bow limit but it really shines in a leaf blower force. And what a pivot and fire um, strategy is, or tactic, whatever it is you want to call it, is when you've sort of concentrated almost all your shooting force into one block, right? And that's either on the left or the right flank of your quote-unquote battle line if you don't mm -hmm. have 100% bow limit or 50% bow limit, okay? And the idea here is you have this massive firing position that you're unloading into your enemy, and but eventually they're going to hit your battle line, right? And that's that secondary um, block of infantry with supporting weak heroes um, that are ready to sort of receive them. And once they plow into that line, your goal is to pivot your main battle line so that it moves away from your firing position. And what this does is it's going to start exposing the back of your opponent's army, the back of their battle line, to allow your firing position to just plow into the supporting models, which tend to be lower defense than the models up front, which means your, your, your firing position can start mowing down those supporting spearmen or pikemen and what ends up happening is that an unsupported model in a line-on-line -line clash generally will shield to stay alive. So what you're doing there is you're really blunting the offensive force um, of your opponent as their line clashes with yours. And your opponent's going to see this very quickly. And what they're going to do is they're going to spend that might instead of on heroic combats. They're going to spend it on heroic moves to stop you from repositioning your battle line, or even potentially to break off a portion of their force to charge their shoot your your shooting position, and this can be good because if they're splitting their forces up, um, that'll allow you to um, capitalize on that um, that spreading of enemy force or enemy uh, strength and concentration of uh, position, and allow you to take advantage of it. 
All right. So I, I didn't really follow that, to be honest with you. So like when you're saying pivot and fire, like, do you mean and, and you're talking about moving a, a part of your force? Are you moving your um, your archers or are you moving the part of your army that is not your shooting force? Initially, you would move the part of your army that isn't your shooting force, right? So they're, okay. the, they're, the, they're the, the chaps with the shields um, and they're like your standard battle line, right? So what you're saying is like your 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 line of archers is, is basically maintaining their position, but while they're doing that, the other part of your forces is moving towards your enemy's flank, like that type of thing? Is that what you mean? You're, it's more of your... your shield position your line element that doesn't have any yeah. shooting in it will solely shift to the left of the table or to the right of the table it all depends upon where you've put your shooting position so yeah. then if, for example if your shooting force of let's say 20 crossbowmen is sitting to the right of your battle line right so you'll slowly start to shift your battle line to the left and you'll start to slowly move up and your opponent's stuck with a decision. They can rush at your shooting position of 20 crossbowmen. Right. At which point in time, you've they've just left their flank open to your main battle line. And they're mm. going to get wrapped in attack from two sides, which is not where they want to be. Or what they'll do is they'll have to charge your main battle line, which is slightly off to the left of your shooting position. And they'll do this because they say to themselves, I'm going to get myself out of shooting uh, range by diving into combat and everything will be good to go. Yeah, That's when you sort of spring the trap. And that is the following turn, you call a heroic move if you don't already have priority. And that's when you swing your, your main battle line even further to the left. And you're going to angle your the closest side of your battle line that's closest to your shooting position, you're gonna swing that further away. So it's almost like you're gonna swing your door um, further down towards your deployment zone. And what this does is it forces your opponent to match it if they wanna keep the pressure on. And if they do that, they end up exposing their back line to your shooting position. But if they mm -hmm. don't wanna do that, what they're doing is they've got themselves in a, in, a, in a position where they've got models that can't engage you. So regardless, they're going to get shot at, whether it's the shield guys up front or the spear guys uh, in the back. And you, what you're doing is you're, you're playing the movement game with your, your battle line to force yeah, your opponent to give their back end to your shooting position. You're, you're basically forcing your opponent to uh, make a decision and neither of the answers are, are all that great. Right. And so the moment your opponent realizes that this is happening, they're not going to have this happen the next turn. They're going to burn mm -hmm. uh, might on heroic moves to prevent this from occurring, which is what you want. You want them to burn that might on their heroes instead of calling those heroic combat. So this is just a way for you to maximize your shooting for a much longer period of time while still engaging in that line-on-line -line combat. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. It's a way to actually get some mobility um, by employing that mm -hmm. tactic. All right, so you want to move on to the, the last tactic before we get into rock, paper, scissors? Let's do it. And that is the, uh, the hit and run, which at the beginning we talked sort of some of 
the leaf blower armies can be more mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kind of their tactic rather than being a static line, kind of what you were just yeah. describing in the last one. This is this is kind of a uh, a leaf blower that tends to move around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when they move close to you, you move further away and continue to shoot. So you may not always be um, getting your, uh, or, you know, stationary shooting bonus, if you will. Mm-hmm. You may be uh, incurring the, the movement penalty quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the advantage is, is that your opponent is just like having a very difficult time getting into combat with you. Yeah. This type of force, um, as I envision it, is the type of force that spreads itself across the entire table, right? So you're, you have, let's say, you have a 12-inch deployment zone. All of your warbands are spread across that entire four-foot block, mm-hmm. right? And you're all angled, you know, towards the center point, towards shooting your opponent. And the, the goal here is to just unload for, on your opponent's line from all different angles, and if your opponent is like a shield wall type list, they can only really charge one side of the table, right? And a line breaker list is the same thing. They want to charge a very specific spot and they want to ruin it. But when you're spread out and you're not giving any sort of really good targets, you force your opponent into making a sloppy, potentially a sloppy mistake. And this is where you're saying to yourself, some portion of my army is shooting constantly because if they're barreling down on my right flank, guess what? I'm heroic marching and running away at max speed, but my left side of my army is still shooting constantly. So you're getting this point where you're just constantly shooting and if you need to, you're constantly moving. And your, your goal is to evade as long as possible, dump as many shots into your opponent and cause as many casualties as you can. You know, earlier on in the in the weaknesses section, I mentioned that sometimes maelstrom of battle deployment can be difficult for this army. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, it's actually a benefit. Like if you yeah. have like a lot of cavalry, like if you're a Rohan um, leaf blower all mm-hmm. mounted, it's way better for you and really hard for your opponent. If your opponent's army gets split up and you have cavalry that can that quickly get back together into a cohesive force it's like you can easily sort of corner off like sections or war bands of of their army before they can get together and and deal with them with both shooting and just employing some cavalry charges Mm -hmm. you know like you shoot shoot and then charge exactly yeah i know um those really mobile leaf blower type lists um, can really lean on the hit and run tactics and evasion for as long as they need to because they know they can always launch that devastating counter charge uh, at a moment's notice versus the stationary uh, leaf blowers that really rely upon standing still, deploying properly. It's very important to mention that stationary leaf blower type armies really need to deploy properly because you don't have too many turns of moving because you need to stand still and shoot. So if you don't deploy properly um, early on, you're really going to harm yourself in the long run which is what you also talked about, having a lot of drops so you can sort of see where those key priority targets that you've assessed early on are going to be and you're making sure your big shooting elements are down uh, straight across from them so you can maximize that shooting. No, absolutely, yeah.
Uh, there is actually one more um, you know, tactic that we want to talk about, and that is terrain is your friend. It's really more of a strategy, but um, as terrain is your friend, it's sort of similar to how the shield wall uses its terrain to really uh, funnel enemy forces. The leaf blower force uses its terrain to funnel enemy forces uh, for different reasons, because again, we talked about in pivot and fire, um, we, we still have that, potentially have that that army, uh, our, our battle line that doesn't have shooting, that has to engage the enemy battle line. But in, in the terrain is your friend sort of strategy, you would take your non-shooting elements and you'd shove it in the terrain sections and force your opponents to funnel into them. All the while your shooting positions are in ideally elevated spots that they can rain fire into the elements of your opponent's army that actually can't engage because they can't get at your 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 battle line mm -hmm. right yeah there's always a lot of uh, examples where terrain can really help you out or hinder you if mm -hmm. you're uh have a lot of missile weapons in your army certainly if if you get lucky and you have a piece of terrain in your deployment where you can put three or four guys uh, in an elevated position, and they can just sit there and shoot for the entire game. It's it's a huge benefit. Agreed. All right. So why don't we move on to rock paper scissors? And I want to hear your thoughts. Give me some knee jerk reactions to what do you think uh, a leaf blower list would do against the shield wall? Uh, well, the shield wall, it, it, it's kind of an ideal. Uh, target for you in one yeah. sense and a suboptimal target in another sense um, because it's not going to have a lot of mobile stuff that's going to get to you quickly like about the only thing unless they've got drums or a lot of marches mm -hmm. you know it's going to take them a long time to get to you so you're going to be able to get a lot of shooting uh, at them beforehand the problem is Typically, we've said that this type of army is, you know, you're looking at defense six or seven generally. Yeah, yeah. Um, so your your rate of kills is going to be a lot lower. So, you know, this is where you're probably going to be looking to use your accuracy to fire at the second rank if they don't have shields and and like that kind of thing. Um, so it's 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 a bit of a hit and miss kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's they're slow, so you get lots of shots, but you know. Um, you don't get a lot of kills as, as a result of their high defense. That is true. Um, it, it becomes more of, let's take out the things that are going to hamper me when the lines clash, and, and that's uh, those mounted heroes, you're looking at enemy, any enemy archers. And the, this against the shield wall, you really want to employ either the hit and run, so you spread your force out where you can, because um, again, the shield wall really wants to stick clumped together. So if you're spread out and you're not giving your opponent a good spot to charge, you, you gain that huge advantage of being able to shoot for longer um, and be more effective. And if you're playing with that sort of stationary um, shooting element, you, this is the type of army where you want to uh, pivot and fire against. Um, because again, they want to hit a very specific part of your force. So you want to play on the pivot, the, the, the pivot and fire uh, strategy. No, I, I agree with that. Uh, what do you think about the Horde? Uh, so this is the one army type where you don't want to spread out. You want to stay clumped because they outnumber you. And if you spread out, they will take advantage of that and they will destroy you. So this is to me, this is one of those armies that you want to stay clumped 
And your goal, for the most part, you know, we talked about target priority earlier on. It all depends upon the army type and mission, etc. But your target priority generally is shoot their infantry. You really need to um, sort of even up the odds in terms of the model count disparities between armies as quickly as you can. Because you want to get your opponent to as close to break before the lines clash as you possibly can. Because generally speaking, your shooting force, the infantry is going to be better than a horde army's infantry force. Right? Yeah, and you already mentioned earlier too that, you know, next to the horde, this is probably the largest uh, army type, like mm-hmm. the second largest army type. Yep. So you're doing yourself a huge favor if, if you can take away a warband with shooting. You know, if you can if you can come close to uh, having the equal numbers to a horde, and you have plus one fight on them, well, you suddenly have a huge advantage now because not only yep. are you the guy with all the bows, but you have the equal number of model and a higher fight. Agreed. Yeah, um, you really want to weaken that those enemy models as quick as you can uh, by killing or the enemy model count, army model count as quickly as you can. Um, because your infantry is going to almost always be better than theirs. And yeah, this is one of those ones where you stay clumped regardless of mission. You just stay clumped and you shoot for as long as you can. No, what do you think about the line breaker? Uh, I don't know. This one is, <laughs> it's kind of like playing craps mm, to me almost, yeah. this one here. Um, because it's like we've gone on and on about this. We've even talked about this matchup before, I think. But yeah, it, it's like it all comes down to taking out the horses of, of the enemy heroes that are invariably there, and it's you know it's it's the it's the Achilles heel to their to their army. You know, um, if you do it, you're probably going to win. If you yeah. don't do it you're probably going to lose. It's as simple as that. It, it all comes down to your effective use of heroic accuracy and pivoting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I, I've played a lot of Isengard and one of the very frustrating things with crossbows is if you line your crossbows up like laterally, like right along your deployment line, mm-hmm. it's so easy to get out flanked quickly by, by this type of army because mm-hmm. they're just like, um, okay, we're going to do a heroic march and boom, they're like over halfway across the table and all of a sudden your line of crossbows, you only got like, you know, two or three guys at, on the end that can shoot at them. Yep. Um, it, like if that's what's happening, it, it's not good for you. So it, with with that particular example, you kind of have to deploy differently with, mm-hmm. with crossbows when that happens. But it, it all comes down to um, probably two turns of shooting and if you lose one of your turns of shooting because that you get outmaneuvered, it's it's terrible. Yeah, I would even go as far as to say this matchup is really hard for a good force if you're a good leaf blower. Mm-hmm. But if you're an evil leaf blower, it's actually an easier matchup because you can shoot into combat because you can throw that sacrificial line of guys with shields up front let the heroes charge it and then you just unload into everything and hopefully you take out the mounts while you're doing it so you always have those extra turns to shoot but if you're a good force and you've not dismounted the heroes you are really in for some uh for some hurt 
Like one thing this game, um, in in terms of like historical tactics mm-hmm. employed on the battlefield, like a lot of like ancient armies or even more modern armies use skirmishers. So mm-hmm. you have your, your battle line and then in front of your battle line in very loose order, you have a few models uh, or a few uh, warriors or whatnot that, that have missile weapons and they skirmish in front of your battle line to try to break up enemy formations. Well, guess what? It doesn't work in SBG because mm-hmm. of the heroic combat. You, you do that in SBG and you're just asking for a big hero in the face, mm-hmm. right? However, if you're playing a leaf blower list and you're evil, it does work. Yeah. Because a lot of the time, you'll catch an inexperienced player and they'll say, oh, look, somebody he's left a guy within charge range of me. What a mm-hmm. fool. I'm going to charge my, my guys into that. And it's like, well, little do you know that I plan on like... <laughs> firing 20 crossbow bolts into the back of my own guy just mm-hmm. so that I can kill you. Yeah. Um, so in that, in this one example, like if putting out a few skirmishers like that, it actually does work. And, and it also prevents them just from running around that model mm-hmm. um, because of control zones and, and whatnot. So it yep. can actually be very valuable and, and help you from being outflanked or or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I also find that when you have that concern or that worry your opponent is going to like heroic march a whole bunch of mobile forces, uh, especially mounted heroes, around your, your deployed uh, crossbowmen or your mm-hmm. stationary units, I find that if you sort of deploy them in clumps of three, almost like a triangle, mm-hmm. they have such an amazing range of fire because as long as a the cross each crossbowman is touching two others they almost have 360 degree view of fire so whether they cut right or cut left on you the enemy heroes i'm referring to you still have range to be able to shoot so if you've got these little pockets of three crossbowmen that sort of uh minimize your overlap because you don't want to shoot your own guys but um have that ability to um, position them almost kind of like archer landmines where it doesn't matter which way your opponent goes, you're going to be able to hammer them uh, with some crossbow shots. Yeah, another way that I sometimes deploy, and again, this is a lot of this depends on uh, at what point you're dropping your, your crossbow units mm-hmm. in the sequence of deployment. Um, typically with Isengard, you don't actually have a lot of warbands, so you kind of no. get flat-footed a little bit with this. But like what I do is rather than like line my guys up like laterally right across my deployment, a lot of the time what I'll do is I'll put my um, crossbow or or say half of my crossbow line sort of on a diagonal yeah, yeah. So, so that it's impossible to come around my flank mm-hmm. without being shot at and you can still shoot forward the right. problem is is if they deploy on the opposite flank then you're completely out of position so you if you you can kind of deploy like as in a v mm-hmm. and like you can guarantee that you'll at least have half your crossbows will be able to shoot at their cavalry right uh, and the other other half can just shoot straight forward at whatever exactly no totally agree with that and then as you're you're your opponent is sort of coming at you. You sort of slowly shift the guys in the front to the to the back, so you can sort of continue that that shooting as much as you can while keeping yep. your opponent out of range to charge. 
Yeah, it's it's crossbows are are amazing, but the big disadvantage is that if you have to move and you lose a, a turn of shooting, and, and and maybe in a game when you're only going to get three turns of shooting, mm -hmm. well, that's really bad. Yeah, with with crossbows, you really have to know where they need to be one or two turns in advance, and yeah. you really have to be good at predicting the flow of battle um, in terms of your your opponent's movement. Um, to be able to say, are my crossbows going to be in position two turns from now? No, I'll move them now, and then that way they're in position when they need to be, because crossbows out of position are just a huge waste of points. Agreed. Alrighty, so let's jump into leaf blower, and this is really simple. Um, leaf, leaf blower bl versus leaf blower. <clears throat> leaf blower versus leaf blower. It almost all comes down to who has more shooting, and whether that shooting has better quality than your opponent. Okay? Because if you've got your opponent who's got Rangers of Athelium with 50 bows and your Isengard with 20 crossbows, well, odds are your opponent's probably going to do better. This well, is they're going to just they're going to shoot at your crossbows until they're all gone. Right, and because their their fifty odd bows can move and fire, they can only they can bring a lot of their bows to shoot at very few of your crossbows, right? Because they can move and they can angle themselves, and that's one of those situations where move and fire is very strong in relation to stationary yeah. uh, when you're doing a comparison. Um, so yeah, so like like in all of these like head to head battles like Lee floor versus lore you, you kind of just have to at the beginning of the game you you have to evaluate you know my army is all about this and so is theirs which one is better at it you know if you have very similar armies and they have a four plus shoot and you have a three plus shoot well it's like well i'm gonna stick to my plan mm -hmm. <laughs> this is actually one of those games where you want to pull your calculator out and by calculator i mean your phone with a calculator app and you want to do, I've got 12 guys, or I've got 20 guys that hit on fours and wound my opponent on fives. What's the probability of casualties per turn? Okay, what does my opponent, can, what can my opponent do? Calculate it. And if you start seeing that on average, you're going to do more damage than your opponent, start shooting and stand still and be confident in the fact that you can outshoot your opponent. But if you start doing the calculations and some quick math and you realize, oh my God, this person's going to outshoot me two to one, Look to other strategies to make it work for you. Definitely. Alrighty, so we talked about the head-on-head, -head, right? The leaf blower versus leaf blower. But what do you think about leaf blower versus mobile forces? Uh, this one is, again, like we kind of talked a little bit about this uh, in the previous one. Uh, what do we call that again? <laughs> the line breaker? Yeah, the line breaker. Uh, and it's... You definitely don't want to string your army out against a mobile mobile force. You, no. you do still definitely want to keep yourself uh, compact uh, as much as possible without giving up any of your shooting. Just because it's like if you spread out, you're you're making it too easy for the enemy to get to you, really. And once they get to you, your your army will fall apart quickly to the to a mobile army mm -hmm. especially if you're good like that's the thing oh, yeah. like the, like this kind of thing if, if you're a good army um and you're a leaf blower and you're playing mobile and and you know they get to you and combat starts well you know that is a huge uh 
bummer for you because <laughs> all of a sudden you're in combat which you don't want to be and you can't shoot at their models and they're better at combat than you it's just bad all the way around right exactly um this is one of those ones where terrain becomes a huge boon to you and you really want to say how am i factoring terrain into this game because you're looking at train for two reasons. One, what are my funnel points? Because you really want to funnel a mobile force. You do not want to let them charge you en masse in an open field. That's a recipe for an auto loss. Yeah. And two, you're looking for those elevated positions. Because you, I don't know how many times we've, we've seen those ruins uh, where you can put you know five or six archers on the top of the ruin. Well, guess what? Horses don't climb. So your opponent has to dismount if they want to come yeah. up and charge you. Right, so look for looking for the elevated positions, looking for the choke points with ter you with using terrain is going to be really critical to pull off a win on this, and you will sacrifice board control. You just have to accept it. And this is one of these ones too at the beginning where you have to have the conversation with your opponent. Can a horse fit through this gap? Yes, yes. or no. Can they fit through this gap? Yes or no. Mm -hmm. And and like you mentioned, ruins, but also forests. Like unless they're elves with woodland creature, you know. If you got like a couple of clumps on four of forests on the board, well, they're not going through there. Yeah, you know they're just not going to. So, so the, those forests cut off like huge sections of the board, um, and and really do channel the enemy cavalry. Right, exactly. And this is also one of those ones where you want to have that discussion where you see like there's a piece of terrain here that's got three trees on it. You tell your opponent right out the gate, this entire base, this this three tree base with all the associated attachment to it this entire thing is difficult terrain you want to establish that out the gate and then you can use those as sort of mobile bastions of i'm not going to get charged by a cab model because they'll lose all their cab bonuses yeah now we're talking about a, a typical mobile army which is mm -hmm. cavalry so we we have identified a couple of armies that are sort of mobile infantry armies and yes. that, that is a different kettle of fish um because like they like in the example of the uh Lurts of scouts i believe they all have woodland creature too they so do, it's like ugh, you know and you know they got like drums and marches and mm -hmm. it's, it's it's a lot more difficult to to keep them away from you um, at length, uh, so yeah. it is. It is a different battle entirely against an army like that. Agreed. Uh, let's go to our last one before we jump into some uh, leaf blower examples. Uh, the last one is the hybrid slash combined army, and more often than not, this is probably going to be your hardest matchup. And this is because this almost always includes a spellcaster, and that spellcaster almost always has an anti-shooting bubble. So that right off the bat is really going to reduce the effectiveness of your strategy, which is surprise, surprise, shooting. And it's going to allow your opponent to sort of cross the field, losing a couple models here and there, and then eventually charging into your battle line and smashing the bejesus out of you. So really, you have to recognize a couple things here. One, the anti-shooting bubble is a double-edged sword. All right. And that's a good thing. So if to you, I shoot you, I need sixes to hit, it really sucks. But what the anti-shooting bubble also immediately signals to you is, one, my opponent's force is going to be clumped. That means I want to spread out. And two, I can only hit my opponent ever on sixes. Guess what? That means I'm always moving. There's never a reason to be moving half 
ever. Because if I stand still, I hit on sixes. If I move half, I hit on sixes. I might as well be hitting on sixes and I might as well be moving. Um, so I just accept that and that allows me to play that hit and run really well. Unfortunately for the stationary types of armies, this sucks, right? This is really one that really hampers you badly. Yeah. Um, the other thing with that type of army too, that they're likely to have in a combined arms army is a siege engine. Which yeah. you know, even though you don't you don't have like a block formations of troops, the siege engine can still kill like a couple of guys a turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and they can reach right across the table. So you know the siege engine. If you want to stand still and shoot, the siege engine's good with that. You know, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. I'll just I'll shoot every turn and maybe kill a guy or two. You know, every turn and make back my points. No mm-hmm. problem. Exactly. Yeah, the siege engine with the splash damage. We're talking the. Um, the Iron Hills Ballista, we're talking Trebuchet. the Torley Whirly, we're talking the, the Minas Tirith um, uh, Siege Catapult, the effect of the Siege Catapult. Um, anything that causes splash damage is not fun for a Ranger Fourth because you actually do kind of want to stay together as much as you can because you want to make use of the heroic marches, you want to make use of the heroic accuracies especially, and the heroic shoots. <laughs> Um, I talk about my uh, my dwarf ranger shooty army, and it's not really a leaf blower, but it's like got like full thirty three percent bows and a lot of throwing axes. I played against Matt Iverson at mm-hmm. TGX. Um, I guess it, what would year would that have been? Two thousand nineteen, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he had this exact army we're talking about right now. It was combined. It was combined arms. Um, Minas Tirith. He had the trebuchet. He had Gandalf the White. Mm, he had yeah. like a shield wall. He had archery, and it's like, oh my god, what a what a counter to my army it was. Mm-hmm. It was it was a hard game. I lost, um, but it was it was a good game. Um, and it wasn't one-sided, but oh my god, it was so hard to do anything against the army because of the blinding yeah. light. And every turn, he was dropping shots with the trebuchet in, and I was having to like move guys around to keep, you know, one guy like two or three inches away from mm-hmm. the other guys, and all of that nonsense. And it's like, yep. well. <laughs> yeah. So that like that combo of the blinding light, the the siege targets, um, magic in general, can be quite effective, um, especially with that big hero that goes along with it generally in a combined arms force. So it's going to be one of your hardest, um, one of your hardest matchups because it almost always has the tools to counter your main strategy, which is shooting. And because a leaf blower list focuses all its eggs in one basket in shooting, uh, for the most part, uh, it really will struggle against the hybrid force. That's for sure. And if he knows what he's doing, he's keeping all his archeries inside um, that anti-shooting bubble. Yep. Uh, and, and that means their archers are going to be killing your archers and your guys aren't going to be killing theirs. Exactly. Um, if, if for some reason they were to leave their archers outside that anti-shooting bubble, well, then you just take them all out. Pretty because much, they're, yeah. again, lower deep. And on to the last section, which is examples. And these are the different factions that can do the leaf blower list very well. And we'll start with the obvious, and that is the best leaf blower list in the game, and that's Rangers of Athelion. And this is the best leaf blower list because it brings uh, a really strong infantry type, which is spears and fight four, woodland creatures, uh, special rule, and also gives you 
100% bow limit. I mean, at a one th or a 700 point army, you could be looking at quite easily 50 bows. I mean, in fact, even if you scale it down to 600 points, you could still be looking at 50 bows, which is an obscene amount of bows to be going up against at the 500, 600, even 700 point level. And this is coupled with you get Frodo, um, who has the ring, so fantastic counter to big heroes and having fight value. You've got Faramir who's on a horse, so a mounted Faramir gives you a pretty solid tier 2 hero that when coupled with Frodo uh, gives you a really one good 1-2 combo against big heroes. Um, and you've also got some interesting minor buffs on your minor heroes, such as the two new heroes that just came out. Um, the, one of them gives you a free point of might on the in the way roll, or just their ability to shoot is so much better. And the second one gives you a six inch radius bubble of removing stock on scene, which can be a really strong special rule for certain army types. So to be able to just remove it uh, puts you ahead of the game. And the reason why I say this force is the best in of all the leaf blower types is because it is the most talked about force right now, uh, most talked about Legendary Legion, and they're looking at ways in which they can nerf it. So if people are talking about nerfing you or nerfing your faction, that generally means it's a really strong faction. When you say they, you don't you don't mean Games Workshop. You just mean the people that are talking about it. Correct. The competitive forum players, yeah. If Games Workshop talks about nerfing something, it's in an FAQ and it's nerfed. Let me ask you something. Yes. Is this the strongest army out there right now? Uh, for 750 points less, or le uh, at the 750 and less mark, it's probably one of the strongest, if not the strongest list. At the 500 point list, at the 500 point level, it is definitely the strongest army out there in the game. You don't, you don't think that's just uh, maybe uh, strongest on paper, but is it like I, I can't believe it's been proven to be the strongest yet. I would say I'm gonna throw my, my hat in the ring and say that it's definitely the strongest at certain point levels. Uh, and right. the, the GBHL, they've had a number of tournaments using the, the Rangers of Athelion, and mm -hmm. I know that it's talked about in Europe. And it's an incredibly difficult force to go up against and be effective. And the addition of the two new minor heroes to give them even more bows, allows them to scale up to a higher point level and be as effective as they are as an, at a lower point level. All right. Well, I guess uh, time will tell on it's that true. one. Uh, I'll move on to a really quick one, uh, and it's possibly not one of the obvious ones, but we did mention this before, and it's Isengard. Specifically, it's the Assault on Helm's Deep. Mm -hmm. um, this one here, just because... You have, uh, like within the rules of the Legendary Legion, you have the hyper-accurate Isengard Ballista, which is really good to have. Yeah. Um, but because of the absence of any big heroes in this list, like Isengard doesn't really have, other than Saruman, doesn't really have any big heroes. But nope. in this one, you know, all of the named guys aren't there. So you you're really forced almost to like take a ton of warriors and you can really field a lot of crossbows even at 33 yeah. percent um, enough to make this a like an incredibly dangerous shooting force and you still have the the bomb for mm -hmm. you know dealing with some other 
difficult targets. Um, does have a weakness though, um, because you don't have any top tier heroes, you you can yeah. uh, get taken apart by some top tier heroes. Now, because you're evil, you can sort of counteract that with the shooting into combat. Um, your bomb can also scare away people from sort of running their multiple heroes at you in the same spot, even with the nerf. Um, we also forgot to mention that with the assault on Helm's Deep Legendary Legion, you can only take generic captains, which you talked about, but it also increases the warband size. So all of them all of a sudden go to Hero of Legend warband size. And that's exactly what you want with a Leaf Bowler uh, style list, is you want to maximize your infantry and you want to take the least amount of heroes possible. So when every one of your heroes can take 18 guys and they only cost 65 points with an upgrade, and they can also take a crossbow if they wanted to, you can bring a lot of crossbows to the table. And charging this list, your models, your infantry are actually quite strong. Right, you've got Urukai warriors with shields. You've got even the crossbowman, the Urukai crossbowman, and it's still stronger than a lot of other uh, baseline uh, infantry models in the game. Well, they should be. They're worth eleven points. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, there is something else, another list that we wanted. I want to talk about that's from the Isengard section, and you've mentioned this a couple times already, and that is Lurtz's scouts. And where Isengard is very, the Assault and Helm's Deep Legendary Legion is very stationary. Alerts the scouts is obscenely mobile, and again, this is this list where you are trying to max out your bow limit. Get you got your thirty-three percent bow limit. You want to take as many infantry as you can, but because you're taking scouts, which are slightly cheaper than the regular Isengard warrior, uh, you get more of them. But you also get woodland creature. You get movement eight. Uh, you're almost invariably going to take drums, so all of a sudden your guys are moving 11 inches a turn. So you're into the mobile army type, but you have the shooting capacity of a leaf blower. You're able to move effectively five and a half inches with just a drum um, and your base eight movement and still be able to shoot. Most infantry move six inches, so you're almost able to keep pace with them while still shooting. And that makes for some insane hit and run tactics. All right. I don't know if I would include that one in the leaf blower list, but it's certainly got some elements of the leaf blower, and it's got the versatility to either uh, shoot or charge into combat, which, you know, leaf blower doesn't really have that ability. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so let's move on to the Corsairs of Umbar. Yeah, that is a really strong one. <laughs> it is a really strong list. Um, because it brings to the table uh, two amazing components, and that is the crossbowman, but it also um, brings your rank and file infantry or warrior has a throwing weapon built in, right? And all of a sudden you've got that long game, plus you've got the short game, you've got heroes that are, you bring a lot of hero valor heroes in this list that are very cheap, and any sort of heroes of fortitude, which are also cheap, can bring crossbows. So you've got that amazing combo of, uh, I've got lots of choice with my heroes, and they hit all the criteria that I'm looking for in terms of building out a strong leaf blower. 
And the beauty about the Corsairs is that if when the lines clash, they're also really effective in line-on-line -line combat. Because of the backstabbers uh, and their large numbers, they can make use of that. Uh, we're talking about the backstabbers, army special rule, that allows you when you trap uh, a model, you get plus one to wound on it. And because of their large army size, they have a very easy time um, wrapping the flanks. And that allows them to chew through enemy infantry fairly quickly. And on top of that, you've got Corsair Reavers, which are very strong uh, in charging. And you've got uh, key heroes like Hasharan and Dalamir are very strong infantry killers. Yeah, it's like such a strong faction. Um, like just because you can build like a, a very atypical army and you're really getting two different army types out of it. Yeah. You're getting a horde army and a leaf blower all in one and it kind of just happens exactly. <laughs> symbiotically, you know? Yeah. And so what do you think about the last one? I think the last one sucks. <laughs> it's elves. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Rivendell. Blah. That's right. Kirdan. Blah. Blinding light. Blah. Lame, but effective at mm -hmm. being a leaf blower. Um, just with Elrond, he's he's very strong character, as everybody know. And uh, Kirdan with his blinding light, so frustrating to play against that model. Very mm -hmm. effective model. Um, also, um, just with Elrond, uh, he can have uh, 18 yep. uh, Rivendell Knights, all mm -hmm. with bows. So you can get above 33%, far, quite far above like 100% with well, I mean, if you're just going with that one warband, yeah. you're going to have 100% bows. Well, I don't think Elrond has a bow, but... I uh, know he doesn't, sadly. Yeah, so this is one of these armies where it is a real true skirmishing list where mm -hmm. you, can, you can shoot all day long and nobody can approach you. Uh, and then when you deem the time is right, you charge and with knights with lances. So it can be pretty devastating. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, it, 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 it turns from a leaf blower <laughs> to a, um, to a shock army, like, you know, with the flip of a coin pretty well. So yeah. it is a very strong list. Agreed. Now this is now with the Rivendell. You're looking at the Rivendell Knight list. You're not looking at your your rank and file guys. Um, they just don't give you enough bows to be a real true leaf blower. And the reason why the the Rivendell Knights list is very much a leaf blower is because you could be taking anywhere between ten and eighteen knights in your, in your warband. I suggest less because you may want to take a pick up other items like Curedan to give you the blinding light. And, and what the army bonus for Rivendell gives you is if you uh, if you stand still, you get to reroll hits. So all of a sudden, your 10 or 18 Rivendell Knights almost invariably, for the most part, are going to be within six inches of your, your leader. So you'll be rerolling hits. So all of a sudden, your you know 10 to 18 models are punching way above what their model count would suggest. And because Kyrdan gives you the blinding light, they win the shooting game. And Elrond is your tier one hero. And knights are also have strength three bows. Like the, the, the number of things that goes along with this just, just piles up and up and up. So which makes them a very strong 
um, yeah, and it's list. like that army bonus rule of re-rolling to hits should not be underestimated because, no. you know, they're almost hitting with every shot when that happens. And it's just like, oh, my God. Basically, they're just rolling to wound every turn almost. Right. It's like, you know, maybe one or two guys miss, but, you know, you're just rolling wounds basically. Pretty much. And the beauty about that army rule is that even if your opponent has an anti-shooting bubble up, you're still re-rolling to hit. And what that does is it almost gives you effectively a 5-plus to hit instead of a 6-plus to hit when you're shooting at them. And don't think for a second, don't underestimate that for a second. That's extremely yeah. powerful. Definitely. All right, well, that's the end of the examples. But do you mind if I throw in a historical reference? Sure, go for it. Because it's like I'm, I'm all about the history. Like I, I, I tend to, like I listen to a lot of historical YouTube, podcasts, documentaries, read books, and blah, blah, blah. Always yep. have. Um, and I, I'll just cite a battle where, you know, we basically, if you, if you boil down the, the aspects of like real historical battles and also of SBG, mm-hmm. and you come up with like just sort of generic elements like shooting and melee and you know that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. so there was a battle um which took place and it was the battle of culloden and it was the where the jacobites um were uh which was this is goes into the uh the whole monarchy and Mm -hmm. um the jacobite rebellion uh where they were supporting um Charles Edward Stuart, mm-hmm. who was making a claim to the throne, basically, but without getting too much into that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically where you had kind of a, a turning of the page, kind of. I, I see it in, in, in history where you had an army that was made up of um, Scottish uh, Highlanders. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were allies. There were some English in the army. There were um, Irish and French regulars. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is in the in the time of like muskets and whatever. But the the Highlanders were still by and large using the the targe or the shield and uh, a broadsword. Basically, was was their primary weapons. Although they did have muskets. But basically, it was an army whose tactic. Um, was as a shock troop mm-hmm. and as we would call it if you boiled it down into our terms it was a line breaker army mm-hmm. they would they would charge an enemy position and break through their line with melee like they didn't line up and fire muskets what they would do is they would charge fire their musket drop their musket and draw their sword hmm. and and charge in and fight with sword and shield right. but it was at a period in time 1745 where um weapons and tactics had been slowly changing and it was kind of at this battle where um we finally saw a modern army quote unquote Mm -hmm. using modern equipment and tactics and where we first saw like a line of of musket firing troops in discipline order Mm -hmm. and 
what ended up happening in this army in this battle was it was a very one-sided battle and for the english mm-hmm. um and the the jacobite rebellion and their army was pretty well destroyed in this battle like it was something like 10 to 1 in terms of of losses but it was basically because you had what is essentially a leaf blower army mm-hmm. in the english which was like set up in three ranks of musket firing disciplined infantry mm-hmm. who trained to receive a charge um and they also had artillery so they were bombarding the the enemy force and basically forced them after a terrible bombardment mm-hmm. to charge which they did and um, the Jacobites did reach the English lines and they did fight, but they suffered so much damage during the charge from the leaf blower army, effectively, mm-hmm. that it was far too much for them to continue the battle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just I recently um, was listening to a podcast that was discussing this battle mm-hmm. and it was is kind of rang a few bells with me as we were talking about leaf blowers because although this is in the age of gunpowder it is sort of early in in the age mm-hmm. it's sort of at a point where tactics are being developed and that's kind of what this is talking about especially with all this talk about the rangers of athelion is that's kind of what you're you're getting when you throw down an army with a hundred percent shooting yeah. it's almost it's almost like a, a completely different completely outside the box of this game you know like you mentioned before like this game it's all about the dual role and like the yeah. rangers of athelians is like they got nothing to do with the dual role they yeah. could care less about the dual role right? no they, they don't care at all about the dual role and even if they had to care about it they're like we just killed maybe 15 of your models. You now have 25 models yeah. in your army. We have 50. Good luck. Yeah, like the battle for them, it's it's decided by the shooting, yeah. not by the duel. Yeah. So anyway, that's my that's my historical reference for like this that. episode. I like it. The battle good. of Culloden. Read about it. Listen to it. It's history. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're here for All That Is Gold Does Not Glitter. And we've got a letter, uh, I guess a letter, an email to read Mm -hmm. uh, in this one. And we've also got a question we've had for a while that was sent in by Father Justin. Mm -hmm. So let me read the email we received, which is from Mike. So thank you, Mike, for getting in touch. And he says... Thanks, Mike. We appreciate it. Hey guys, first off, I'm really enjoying the show and the content, in particular, the Getting Ready for a Tournament mini-series. I found that really helpful and gave me a lot to think about. So there you go, Drew. That's that's kudos to you because you wrote all of that stuff. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Secondly, during your most recent episode on Legendary Legions, I had a thought I'd like to share. I always thought the purpose of Legendary Legions was to make an army more accurate to the book or film, which is awesome. However, the rules as written 
has left too much freedom to quote unquote power game. For example, when I was in the UK, I saw a lot of the riders of Theoden Legendary Legion, but the army on the table looked nothing like what I saw in the film or imagined when reading the book. In particular, I remember the great quotes, Rohan will answer and muster the Rohirrim, but what I see on the table is Rohan's captains will answer while most of the army will stay home. In the films, we True. see 6,000 cavalry charge forth, not eight guys. So I believe to maintain the accuracy, there should be some kind of limit, like a certain percentage needs to actually be Rohirrim. And then he just goes on to say, similar to the Rangers of Athelion Legendary Legion, this is a cool list and very themey. It should be entirely Rangers. Mm -hmm. However, it was made clear that their numbers are too few uh, to hold back the might of Mordor. To represent this, I believe that the Rangers in the list, and only while in this list, should have an increase in points to represent their dwindling numbers. So that's an interesting way. Um, let me just finish. Uh, th that's pretty well lit. Um, he did ask a question about like what kind of fellowship member do we relate to, but we've kind of already covered that. So yeah, yeah. Um, he says, thanks for your time and consideration and good luck with uh, your continued show. Kind regards, Mike. Thank you, Mike. So yeah, Appreciate just to, like, yeah, the Legendary Legion, um, or the Rangers of Athelion, rather. So that that's kind of his thought on maybe trying to deal with um, the outrageous quality of that Legendary Legion is to maybe increase the points of the models mm -hmm, if mm -hmm. you're if you're taking them in that Legendary Legion, which is an interesting idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the problem is that you you see you know, was it 50 or 60, maybe even 100 rangers, like in the books, will ambush a force that's 500 strong, uh, mm -hmm. and then they'll melt kind of back into the shadows and without any fear of reprisal. The problem is, you're not getting that on the tabletop. You're getting, like, 50 rangers that, like, unload into, like, 50 other guys. And by the time the opposing force hits your lines, you still have 50 guys. Your opponent just has 30 at this point, and you outnumber them, which is totally antithesis to the theme of, the, you know, the, the, the army that you're trying to portray. Yeah, so... You know, if you did increase the point cost of, of those models, then the, all of a sudden you're now definitely going to have fewer guys than than your opponent. Exactly. So I don't know. Maybe it'll work. I have no experience. It, like at this point, it's all theory crafting uh, for us, anyways, because like I've not seen the list played before. So no. Um, you know, I can imagine in my mind what's going to happen when I see that list played, but I don't know for a fact. Yeah. Once you start seeing it. Um once you and once you also start seeing it played by people who've got some experience under their belts using it and fine-tuning it i think you'll see that this list definitely merits an adjustment um in the style and design mm -hmm. uh, i will say there's actually he make, it makes a good point about how the legendary legions kind of deviate from theme a little bit mm -hmm. Um, do you know i don't remember the legendary legions name off the top of my head but it's the one that allows you to create the helms deep um, for good, where you've got um, 
Aragorn and Theoden on foot with Gamling and Haldir and the, and the elves. I think it's called the Defenders of Helm's Deep. That would probably be it. Um, there's actually, you can actually take elves uh, in the list without having to take Haldir. And it's oh, like, really? Yeah, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you be allowed to take elves? And people will correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I'm almost positive that that's the case. So you can take hell elves in this list without taking Haldir. And I'm like, well, that very much goes against theme, that you should have to take Haldir to get the elves. But it's like, no, actually, I'm going to take maybe, let's say, 45 models in my list, and I'll take 15 elves, and Aragorn will just lead them. And I'm like, wait, what? That doesn't make sense. I'm referring to <laughs> 15 elves with bows because the third through yeah, yeah. element. And it's just like, that doesn't make any sense. Where's Haldir? And it's like, well, we didn't want to pay the Haldir tax. We want to take all the super competitive options to the list. And I'm like, you're definitely deviating from theme there because Haldir was on the table. Haldir should be required to be played in this list. Well, yeah, I would think so. But like, I, like, I, I don't, I don't have an intimate knowledge of that list. So I, I don't know how yeah. it goes together but like i do like his comment he also talked there about the riders of theoden and uh very much reminiscent of like what we were saying in our mm. episode on line breakers because um, it's probably one of the best line breaker lists out there and Pretty yeah much. it's like you know <laughs> it's like here's these eight models or whatever <laughs> running around the field demolishing everything in sight um, you know, is that really uh, Riders of Theoden, mm -hmm. or is it just Theoden and his uh, immediate entourage of heroes? Right, or you know, um, uh, or they'd look at you may have like four or five heroes, and then you supplement that with a whole bunch of Rohan Royal Guard, and it's mm -hmm. like pretty sure the six thousand Riders were like ninety nine point nine nine percent just regular <laughs> dudes. But it's yeah. like we have a, a, a crack unit of just Rohan Royal Guard to go along with our heroes because they get super awesome when they're on the charge. And I'm like, okay, I think you're <laughs> you're missing the boat on this one a little bit. But, right yeah. on. Well, that was the email from Mike. So thanks very much, Mike, for, for sending that in. And we appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Mike. Uh, so we have a question we've had here for a while, and this is from Father Justin. So I'll read this one, and then I'll, I'll get you to give us your thoughts on this. Okay. What hero or warrior unit is your guilty pleasure? Mm -hmm. Meaning, which hero or warrior do you secretly, secretly enjoy fielding and using in your games all the time? But this hero or model would not necessarily be an obvious first choice in your list, <laughs> though it could be. <laughs> Interested to hear your answer for that. So I read this as what suboptimal choice would you put in your list just because you like the model or you like the theme behind the model? Yeah, the that's kind of what it sounds like. The reality is I don't take suboptimal choices. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to flip this around a little bit, and I'm going to say, what broken OP model do you take that you know you shouldn't take, but you do anyways? And the answer is Galadriel, Lady of Light. I absolutely take that model knowing it should get, it get, it should get hit with a freight train of nerfs, um, or in the least be changed to a hero of fortitude so that you can't ally it in very well. In fact, that's probably the easiest fix to it. 
Um, but I love taking the model because it's a dumb, easy choice that shores up so many weaknesses to so many different lists. And it removes the magic game. It removes the shooting game. You have a competent fight six fighter um, that is really resilient and has no issue laying the beats down on a whole bunch of stuff. And it <laughs> speeds up killing your opponent once they break because the negative one to courage. Like, it's just a dumb no-brainer to me. And yeah. I know I shouldn't take it, but I do. So you're, you're definitely checking the box of the guilty pleasure part, yeah. but, but not at all the part uh, where it's not necessarily an obvious first choice. It's, it, it's an obvious first choice for me, and I shouldn't take it because it's like, for, for those top-tier players out there who are like, come on, come on, you know better. That's not a model you should take. And I'm like, I do know better, but I'm still taking it. <laughs> so, right how about you, sir? Uh, well, for me, because I I tend to rotate my armies that I play, but probably the armies that I play the most are Kazadum, Angmar, and Isengard. Mm -hmm. um, in Isengard, I don't know that I have a, a guilty pleasure model, um, but in the other two lists, I do. And for for Kazadum. My, my guilty pleasure is um, the Dwarf Rangers. Mm -hmm. Always loved the Dwarf Rangers, not necessarily the sculpts, um, but I've, I've always just loved the idea, uh, the, sort of the theme of that model. So whenever I do play Kazadim, I always have a fair number of Dwarf Rangers. Uh, and for Angmar, definitely probably my number one guilty pleasure model oh, is the is. Wild War Chieftain. Yeah. I love that model. I know you I do. Just, it, like, I would like to build an entire Angmar army around that model, but you just kind of can't. It's just, it's just not high enough tier to, to do that. Um, but I would love to see them come out with like a, some kind of alternate profile for that for that model um more uh, maybe a more souped up version of it um just because I, I just love the the idea of that and like there's the chapter in the book of um it's fellowship of the ring mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um just before they go into kazadum and they get attacked by the wargs and you know there's there's a description of of the warg chieftain sort of leading that pack or whatever um, so yeah, that, that's mine. I, whenever I play Angmar, I normally always take the mm -hmm. Wild War Chieftain. You know what I would love to see? I would love to see, and it wouldn't happen because, or maybe it might happen for um, for an army list uh, for a Legendary Legion. But I would love to see like a souped-up hero, like a threes in all the right places kind of orc hero for Angmar. That's mount is the Wild War Chieftain. That would just yeah, be that would so be cool. cool. That's that's something like what you have with uh, Azog, right? Exactly. So. Just you get that orc that's all of a sudden I'm going to use my wild war chieftain strength of six to fight, and it's just like oh god. Yeah. <laughs> I like I just the thing I really like about the one of the things I like about the wild war chieftain is it's a hero model. Now it's not cavalry, no. but if like if it gets knocked prone it doesn't lose anything like mm -hmm. it just stands back up and it still has a 10 inch movement you know what i mean it, like it can't can't be dismounted because obviously it doesn't have a rider but exactly um so yeah like things like that about the model i like um and just it often 
I often find it catches people by surprise because its strength is so high. Oh and God, like yes. most people <clears throat> don't expect that. So anyway, that's, well, I mean, that's mine. If it became a cavalry model, it would be monstrous cavalry because of strength six. Um, and just getting hit with that three attack strength six model. And it's like you get a trap and it does some surprising damage to a hero. Yeah. You know. And it, you can still use it very effectively by just putting some war riders in with that warband. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, while well, you charge in with the Wild War Chieftain and a war rider, well, mm -hmm. now you have a cavalry model in the fight. So oh, if, yeah. if you win the dual roll, you're knocking them down. And you're not, that model's not living. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know? no, not at all. Um, yeah, so no, I, I agree. That's a great model, um, the Wild War Chieftain. I figured you'd say that. Um, I was thinking of another model that I thought you might say. For Angmar or no? No, for Isengard, that was it. Your guilty pleasure, Sharku. I know you're a big Sharku fan. You don't usually see Sharku on the table, but when you were playing it, I remember you had Sharku with maybe like a half dozen wild war, uh, yeah. orc, orc, uh, orcs on ward. Yeah, I, I do tend to take them a lot. I'm not sure if I will continue to take them a lot now that we have the Crabane. Yeah, there's no problem. Um, but you know what? He is a three might mounted hero. Yeah, pretty much. Done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's not a model you generally see in an Isengard force. If you're going to go with an Isengard list because of the Crabane, right? You just take two or three Crabane. You don't need any Cav. Let's just lock down that shield wall sort of type of army and, and go from there. Yeah, like in the you know in the year or whatever that we were playing with the new edition, mm -hmm. um, I was using them because mobility is an essential part of any successful army now, yep. um, and he's a way to introduce mobility into that list, mm -hmm. um, and he also brings along three might with him. So you know why what you would never take an orc captain over him. No, never. because you just pay five points more and you get an extra point of might. You know. Yeah, very rarely would you take an unnamed hero in an Isengard list. It's one of the few lists where you'd almost never take one because you can get a named <laughs> hero that does the exact same thing for like five yeah. points more and more yeah, it's just like There's just so much hero candy in, in Isengard. It's, mm -hmm. yeah. Which is kind of weird because they have one of the best captains in the game. It's yeah. The Hurakai captain is phenomenal. Oh yeah, pretty much. Anyway, shall mm -hmm. we move on to what have I got in my pocket? Absolutely. Now for my most enjoyable segment, what have I got in my pocket? The segment where we ask each other a question that is Middle-earth related, can be anything, books, movies, or the game, and we have to answer it on the spot without any uh, sort of foreknowledge of what's about to happen. So, Don, what question do you have for me today? Oh, I'm going first. Awesome. You're going first, okay. that's right. Uh, I'm, I'm letting you off easy today, giving oh, you an boy. easy one. Uh, no, no quizzes or anything like that I today. Know. No traps. Okay, so here it is. Very straightforward. Yep. Out of the six Peter Jackson movies, which one is your favorite and why? Mm. Out of the six Peter Jackson movies, what is my favorite and why? 
Uh, I would probably have to say Two Towers. It has the most action because um, I enjoy that in the Lord of the Rings type movies. The first one, the first movie is good. It sets the character. There isn't a tremendous amount of action other than sort of the Ammon Hen moment and of course the Moria moment. Um, but I love the battle scenes and sort of imagining what would Helm's Deep look like? What does Pelennor Fields look like? Those beautiful scenes and they bring it to life so beautifully in the Two Towers. Uh, and so that's kind of the moment or the, 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 the movie that I enjoy the most. Uh, because it also still blends this really beautiful story together. Uh, unfortunately, the Hobbit movies, uh, one, two, and three, I enjoyed them. They were a lot of fun. Uh, but you could tell that the production quality was not the same as the love that Peter Jackson threw into the, the Lord of the Rings. Well, I think I think um, the Two Towers is a pretty popular answer for that question. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure I agree with your comment about the Hobbit series. I, I definitely would say that it's probably not not as not as epic, not really even close as mm -hmm. as epic a production as Lord of the Rings was. But you know what? I think the budget was was very solid, um, and I think those movies are can be underrated like mm -hmm. like i really enjoyed the first movie of the the hobbit trilogy mm -hmm. and like i would say that i enjoy it more than the third movie of the lord of the rings trilogy yeah myself. i would agree with that um i had a lot more fun with the first hobbit the reason why i make the comment about the production quality and and that's not about budget or anything like that you know, it's a well-known thing that Peter Jackson just did not have that sort of lead time to prepare for The Hobbit because he wasn't the first choice to be the, the director. I think it was Benicio, no. or it was, um, I don't remember his actual name, uh, but there was another director that they chose first. Isn't it Benicio Del Toro? Benicio or? Del Toro, I think it was, yeah. yeah. He, was, um, he was chosen first to be the director for it, and then he, whether by scheduling conflict or just decided to drop out for whatever reason, uh, it's just because it, it got delayed so many times. He's like, I'm out. Yeah, and and unfortunately, Peter Jackson, um, he picked it up, and he just didn't have that same lead time to prep for everything. So a lot of it was kind of on the fly, and they have they have a lot of the, the behind-the-scenes documentaries that show it, where you see this guy just passed out on the ground from, like, working 20-hour, 24-hour days, <laughs> and he's just, like, blurry-eyed, not even thinking straight. And I'm like, you could tell, like with Lord of the Rings, it was really well paced from a production perspective. He really knew his stuff, had the time to produce this really beautiful trilogy. But with The Hobbit, it still came out really nice, don't get me wrong. But there were a yeah. couple of moments where you're just like, yeah, that this this sort of sequence doesn't make any sense from, a, um, you know, anyways. I find for me, um, the, one, the one thing that I do, that I do like about The Hobbit trilogy um, or maybe it's just that there's part of Lord of the Rings that I kind of dislike, and I'm talking about both in the movies mm -hmm. and in in the book. And it's not that I dislike them. I just I find that like the more I read the book and the more I watch the movies, I, I fast forward through these parts. And it's the parts um, sort of towards about. the latter part of the movie in the book where it's just Sam and Frodo. And they're plowing through Mordor and all that. It's to me like it's just like okay, yeah, fast forward through all this part because it's like I don't need to go through all this again. Um, and like that is that kind of thing is is absent from from the Hobbit movies. So agreed. It's that's, that, that's. 
I was going to say the same thing. I didn't want to say it, but yeah, whenever a Sam and, and Frodo moment comes up in a show, in the, one of the movies, I fast forwarded almost immediately. I'm like, <clears throat> I've seen this like two or three times. It's really, it drags when you read the books. Um, you get into these really drawn out, verbose chapters about um, this section that they're walking towards Mordor or that section. And it's like, I almost feel like there are moments where I'm like, I feel like he's drawing it out because he doesn't have as much content there. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong in saying this, um, you know, whereas the other sections he's talking, like when he's talking about the other members of the fellowship and what they do, there's these yeah. really beautiful moments. But with Sam and Frodo, it's like, you're just walking. Just let's Well, I get think it's, it's, it's two things. It's, it's just that those parts of the story are strictly limited to those two characters and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, nobody else really uh, that and it it is kind of drawn out but it, and I think that's kind of intentional to sort of give you like the reader or the watcher the feel of like how long and excruciatingly hard mm -hmm. this journey is but like once you've read it or watched it like two or three times it's point has been made you mm -hmm, don't mm -hmm. kind of have to see it over and over again Agreed. Yeah, no, and when you're when you're watching the Hobbit movies or reading the Hobbit, um, you never feel that way, you know. Um, when you when you're going through the whole process, you know. As a quick aside, I think one of my, one of my favorite moments in the Hobbit is actually when they go to Bjorn's house, you know, and they, mm -hmm. they they talk about the honey and the honey cakes, and they're explaining how this house is just literally a ginormous house, and everything that they're sitting on is like super oversized compared to what they are as as hobbits and as a hobbit and dwarves and just that whole chapter is just so beautifully done um i think that's just for me is like my favorite chapter as a quick aside on, on the hobbit no that's that's true too and and like for me like a very small thing can ruin a movie for me mm -hmm. and, and the and there was a moment um in in the first hobbit movie um, right at the end and it's kind of like his very literal interpretation of a part of the book mm -hmm. and it's the stone giant part oh yes, yes like yes. when i saw that i mean it was like you have got to be kidding me this is like ridiculous um and that's the D and D player in me. Like when you hear stone giant, mm -hmm. it, it it's not literally a giant made of stone. It's just a name, mm -hmm. stone giant. And, and like I don't think the intention of Tolkien was that that's what they were. Yeah. But like when I see something like that in a movie, that like that <laughs> to me that's enough to put me off. But mm -hmm. you know, it it didn't do it for in in that case. But almost. Yeah, because there's like. When you look at these sorts of, when you look at these sorts of like moments in um, in the in the books, and it's like battle of like humans versus like like man-sized creatures versus man-sized creatures, or there might be like this big troll, and it's like that's actually a formidable foe, and then you have this like two hundred foot tall stone giant, or you yeah. have these massive like e earth eating worms, and I'm like seriously, like why don't you just use that thing and Frank Herbert Dune the heck out of it by having Azog ride it as the Quizax Hatterack and just like yeah. mow down the dwarf army as if nothing <laughs> had happened? I'm like come on, that's just stupid. Like those things weren't needed 
you could have no. had some sort of like rock falls from the top of the mountain and been like, oh, the stone giants are fighting again. You didn't need to show it, you know? No, it, it was it was over the top for yeah. sure. And yeah. it, uh, I, it's just to me, it's his literal interpretation of the words in the book. And, you know, whatever, one man's interpretation. And of course, it's Peter Jackson, so he can yeah. do whatever he wants, I guess. Exactly, exactly. Uh, okay, so my question for you is I know with the Canadian Shire we have very specific themes for each table and each table is very um, built very in tune with the mission and we try to do our best to go over the top with some of our tables uh, I know with Osgiliath my, my board looks like it's actually an Osgiliath ruin um, so I guess my question to you is if you had sort of budget wasn't a constraint, time mm -hmm. wasn't a constraint, tools weren't a constraint, what is the one board that you would want to build for the Canadian Shire and why? Oh, man, that's a hard question to answer. Holy mackerel. Um, Drops another awesome question. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> well, I'm I'm trying desperately to think of something other than Moria because I always say stuff about Moria, so I'm gonna not say that, and I'm gonna think of something else. Um, but what would it be? Would it be a Hobbit thing, or would it be a Lord of the Rings thing? Um, I think I'm not sure, man. This is a tough question. Because there's so many good boards out there. Like certainly any board that has a field of battle is like everything's been done. So to me, I'm thinking like a, a city, maybe Helm's Deep, maybe maybe Shelob's Lair, maybe the Tower of Kirith Ungol, like that kind of thing. Um, but I'm not sure, honestly, where I would go. No budget and time was not a constraint. That's right. You got to sit down. You had all the tools you needed. If you had any need to buy something, you could get the best of the best. And you just had maybe a month or two off to really just sort of knock it out to like the level that you would envision it to be at. I would have to say, and we, we do have, I'm not sure if we actually did this mission at Canadian Shire or we just have it as a backup. And it is the Raven Hill mission from the Battle of Five Armies of the mm -hmm. Hobbit. Mm -hmm. Did we actually put that mission together in our last uh, event of Canadian Shire, or we, is it just one of our standbys? We came up. Well, the mission's done. Uh, it was a standby because we didn't have time to build the board. Uh, right. It was designed around you running across a very icy uh, lake and bad things happening. So that is definitely one that I would like to do because it's it's like the ruin where Feely and Keely both are killed and like uh, like kind of on the other side it's it's where uh, Thorn and Dwalin like stay back to fight off like a mm -hmm. hundred odd like goblin mercenaries or whatever and you have the frozen river with maybe some broken ice in it mm -hmm. so you kind of got like two ruins on each side of a frozen river and whatever like i think mm -hmm. that could be a really interesting table to put together but it would like the entire table would have to be modeled like it, you yeah. couldn't do 
you couldn't do like modular terrain pieces on, mm. on like a neoprene mat. It would have to be like a fully modeled board. But mm. I, I think that would be really interesting. And I've never seen that board done before. Right. So there you go. Okay. There we go. After much thought and anguish put into that answer. Much thought, anguish, and, and, and deliberate, <laughs> deliberate um, questioning of oneself and soul. You've come up with that. That's answer. a hard question to answer, honestly. It is. Because my immediately go my go to is is to build a Moria board. Like I've yep. I've actually drawn it all out and planned it all out, but it's just a mammoth project oh to do a to do a four by four. And it's also very hard to think up a good custom mission for for that Moria board. Um, but anyway, one day I'll do that too. All right. Well, I guess that is it for this episode. Um, anything further to add, Andrew? Uh, no, really. This is episode 15. Super stoked that it's uh, it's in the bag, that we're halfway to 30. Uh, not that that has halfway any to 30, bearing. yeah. And not that it has any bearing. It's just really cool to have 15 episodes done. It is. Uh, when it's this is whoever thought exactly. We, we, this is something that we were sort of speculating on setting up or, or imagining or daydreaming setting it up back in July of last year and all of a sudden get 15 episodes in the bag uh the thing i could say is uh if you haven't already liked our page uh north of the shire podcast give it a like um as we love to hear your comments and thoughts and if you want to post questions there please do uh and if you'd prefer to send us a question through the uh, old school way of email you can always email us at north of the shire podcast one the number one at gmail.com all right well that's it for this episode everybody thanks for joining us for episode 15 and we will see you on the next one take care everybody